If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to start out in Matthew chapter 28, but uh, we're going to do things a little differently, so we'll hop around a little bit. Uh, first passage will be Matthew 28, and that's on page 835 if you're using one of your blue chair Bibles. But as you turn there, and, and to get our minds ready to hear the Word of God, I want to begin by talking about holidays. We're on a holiday today, Easter Sunday. I'm going to say something really groundbreaking, that holidays are fun celebrations. There are times when we set aside times in our calendar to acknowledge an event like Christmas or Easter or an important ideal like Thanksgiving. They can show what we value or what we think is important because we come back to it every year. As Christians, we celebrate Easter every year. And it's one way that we demonstrate to ourselves and to the world what is important to us. It's good for us to do this because the Bible tells us that the death and resurrection of Jesus is of first importance And without the death and resurrection of Jesus, our faith is useless. We're still lost in our sin. And the Bible even says that if the resurrection didn't happen, we are of all people most to be pitied. And so because that is true, we retell the story every year. And today I want to do that in three steps. So here's the three steps. We're going to talk about the reality of the resurrection, looking at Matthew's telling of the resurrection event. And then we're going to look at the result of the resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, one of the most important chapters in the Bible on resurrection. And then I want to look, finally, at the hope of the resurrection and the picture of eternal life that we have in Revelation chapter 21. So let's begin with the reality of the resurrection by looking at the story of the resurrection found in Matthew chapter 28. Let's begin by looking at verses 1 through 4. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men." The Sunday after Jesus' death, some women disciples went to Jesus' tomb. Luke's account tells us that they planned to do the full preparation of the body for burial that they were not able to do because of the laws surrounding the Sabbath. And the previous chapter of Matthew tells us that the authorities both posted guards and sealed the tomb with a rock. But God took care of that problem. Matthew tells us there was a great earthquake for an angel the Lord descended from heaven and the angel rolled back the stone. 
Matthew also tells us that his appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. And this sets the scene for the women to be the first eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. And at the center of Matthew's retelling of the story is this idea that people witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So let's look now in verses 5 to 8, where the angel speaks to these women. Follow along as I read. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with great fear and joy and ran to tell his disciples. You know, it's sort of funny, as is customary when people interact with angels in the Bible, they have to be told, do not be afraid. This is another strike against the angels as fat babies in Renaissance art. Remember, we were told in the earlier verses that his appearance was like lightning. A little different from a baby. The angel says, he knows that you seek Jesus who was crucified. And the angel informs the women that Jesus is not here, for he has risen. And he includes two important details in this declaration. He first notes that, as he said. Do you see that there, verse 6? He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Jesus told his disciples that he was going to die and rise again. And I don't know if we appreciate this enough. Let me give you an example from Matthew chapter 17, earlier in the book of Matthew. It says this, As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. Jesus literally said it to them. And I love that the angel reminds them of that. He is risen just as he said. The reason I want to highlight this is not so that we can critique the original disciples, but rather Jesus dying and rising again for our salvation was always the plan. the angel gently reminds the women disciples that in one sense they should not be surprised because Jesus told them it was going to happen. Jesus was not the tragic victim of the powers of that time. He didn't get arrested and God had to be like, oh, what should I do now? Oh, I know, I'll have him die and rise again. Good idea. No, Jesus' plan... The plan of God was always for him to send his son to die a sacrificial death and rise again so that all who believe in him will be saved. But then the angel, after saying this, invites the women to to see the empty tomb for themselves. 
The angel invites them to see with their own eyes the objective evidence that Jesus is no longer there. His testimony to them and the testimony of their own eyes now prepare them for the next part of the angel's words. Look at verse 7. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. They are to quickly go and share the news with the other disciples. And they are also promised that they will see Jesus later. Inherent to the good news of the empty tomb, inherent to the news that Jesus rose from the dead, is for those who believe it to be witnesses to that fact to others who do not know it. In, in one sense, we should all see ourselves in these women, that when they have seen the truth of the empty tomb, that they are sent out into God's world with God's message that Jesus has died and risen again. And we see in the last part of this part of the passage that we're going to look at, that they go quickly and do what God has said through the angel. Let's look at verses 8 to 10. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. I love that Matthew tells us how quickly the women obeyed the words of God through the angel. They're quick to obey God's command, even though they were feeling a great mess of emotions. You see that description? With fear and great joy. <laughs> and they're going back to the, and while they're going back to the other disciples, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And in response to that greeting, in response to seeing Jesus in front of them, they took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Now, for our purposes today, I want you to see that they had an actual encounter with Jesus. Not just hearing from the angel and seeing the empty tomb. Look at all the evidence they were given to be reliable eyewitnesses to the reality of the resurrection. On top of that, they are able to take hold of his feet. This was not some delirious vision that they had. Matthew is presenting these women for the good of his readers and for the good of us reading it today that these women were reliable witnesses to the reality of the resurrection. And this is a part of a larger theme in your Bible connected to the next passage we're going to look at earlier in that passage. The Bible welcomes people to talk to the eyewitnesses saw it. Let me give you another example from 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, 
that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Paul mentions people by name who saw Jesus after the resurrection. And that he includes there, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. He's he's saying, look, these guys are still around. You can go talk to them yourself. The Bible doesn't hide from itself like it's some brittle fable. But rather, it invites us to accept the eyewitness testimony of the people who saw Jesus alive. The Bible offers you that same testimony today. Sadly, we cannot go and talk to those who saw the resurrection for themselves, but the Bible has recorded their testimony. That you have reliable witnesses to the truth of the resurrection. That it wasn't made up by some powerful people centuries later, but rather it was something that happened in history. And that people saw it and were witnesses. And that helps us to see that this truth is real. And that we can believe it. And so, with that as our foundation, the reality of the resurrection, the resurrection truly did happen. I now want to turn to another passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you're using one of the blue chair Bibles, it's on page 961. I'm not going to do the whole chapter, don't worry. I promise. I want to focus on verses 20 and 23. Let me read that, and I want to give some context to it to catch you up to the argument. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Let me back up just a step to give you the context of the argument that Paul's making. In the previous verses, verses 16 to 19, Paul is dealing with this hypothetical. What happens if Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead? So let me read from verses 16 to 19. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Summarize Paul's argument, if there's no resurrection, then not even Jesus can be raised. And if Jesus wasn't raised then those who follow him, those who believe in him, are still in their sins. And those who have died have perished. 
And if there's not the hope of resurrections, Christians are of most, of all people, most to be pitied. You see how important, how much we lose if we lose the resurrection. But that's where verse 20 comes in. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Paul then tells us that Christ's resurrection means that he is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. This is an agricultural term for the first batch of the harvest. It's a term that speaks both of the first in an order, but also implies there will be more later. And to prove this, Paul contrasts Jesus and Adam. Think of verses 21 and 22 in parallel here. Look at verse 21 and 22. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. One man, the first created man, Adam, through his sin brought sin and death into the world. But in one man, the God-made man, Jesus Christ, one man brings the resurrection of the dead. If all die in Adam, then in Christ, all will be made alive. In the same way that sin spread from Adam to all humanity, so Jesus brings life to those who belong to him. Jesus is the representative of those who belong to him in faith. Paul comforts the Corinthians and us that this is following a pattern, a pattern that we can count on. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Not only did the resurrection happen, but the resurrection of Jesus guarantees our resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus means that those who belong to him in faith will also experience resurrection and eternal life. And it's a description of eternal life that I want to turn to in the third step of our sermon this morning. I want you to turn to the very end of your Bible. 2nd last chapter in your Bible, if you're using one of the Blue Chair Bibles, page 1041. And as we look at this part of Revelation that speaks to us of what heaven is like, what eternal life is like, I want to I tell you two concerns that I have when it comes to the idea of our hope and the resurrection and eternal life. Here's my first concern. By the way, they're related, so it's okay. But number one is this, that we're more influenced by Gary Larson than we are the Bible. For those of you who don't know, Gary Larson is the artist and writer of the Far Side comics. And I pick on him because in many of his comics, he depicts heaven. And the way he depicts heaven, like many in the larger culture, is as people sitting in white robes, sitting on clouds, and playing harps. 
My concern is nothing against harps and robes. If that's your thing, it's your thing. But I think it's an overly simplistic and honestly boring view of heaven. I can't tell you how many people have asked me sincerely if heaven will be boring. It's a problem. But it's because we're more influenced by those depictions than we are what the Bible actually says. And this leads to my second concern. Because of this overly simplistic and boring view of heaven, we don't actually find hope in eternal life because it doesn't seem like it's much of a hope. If we have a faulty view of eternal life, then it should not surprise us that we live life as if this was it. Instead of finding our hope in the reality and the beauty of the true resurrection. So with that in mind, let's turn to Revelation chapter 21. Let me begin with verses 1 and 2. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Notice the pictures that John uses to describe eternal life, to describe heaven. First of all, it's not just heaven. It's a new heaven and a new earth. I think many of us will be surprised how earthy eternal life is. Now, it's okay to refer it simply as heaven. That's fine. You're not doing anything wrong. But it's also good to remember that it was referred to here as the new heavens and the new earth. Secondly, another picture that John uses here is that of a city, the new Jerusalem. Again, very different from sitting on a cloud playing a harp. We're picturing a city. Now, another time, we'll talk about how in verse 16, the city is a cube. And in addition to being a callback to the Holy of Holies in the temple, I will submit to you that you cannot fathom a cubed city. But that's another sermon for another time. Again, the richness, the robustness of eternal life in a cubed city, a city that is as wide and as deep as it is tall. Again, you can't even fathom that. But I digress. Let's keep going. So what happens in this city? What happens in this cube? Look at verses 3 and 5 with me. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, 
for these words are trustworthy and true. At the center of eternity is living face to face with the God of the universe. We will no longer be separated by our sin from the holy God who loves us and created us. And remember in Revelation chapter 19, eternity is compared with a wedding banquet. Dwelling with God face to face will be living as we were created to, as we were always meant to. And it will be perfect in every way. And then we see the list of verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Central to the hope of resurrection is there no more pain. All the pain you feel in this world will be gone. There's no more sorrow. All the sadness you feel will be wiped away. And no more sickness. All of those maladies you've experienced will be gone. In fact, the hope of the resurrection is the death of death. Death will be no more. In the new heavens and the new earth, death has been killed and is no more. In fact, Jesus is making all things new. Everything will be made right. Everything will be done according to righteousness and justice. We'll be able to relate to God and to each other perfectly. No more will sin make those relationships difficult. And this is not a wish or a dream. This is not, oh, I hope this happens. John records God's word He says this, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. These trustworthy words are our hope. Eternal life is not boring. It is the new creation with God face to face. Living life as we were always meant to have lived it. And when this is our solid hope, when this is the rock upon which we stand, we can persevere through any trouble on this earth. You can do what is right and good, what God is calling you to do, because if you are a believer in Jesus, this is your hope. And it's not a maybe hope. It is a certain hope. Dwelling with God in a renewed world where pain and death are dead. A couple thoughts as we close up this morning. Number one, the resurrection of Jesus really happened. 
The Bible records the words and actions of the original witnesses of the resurrection. It's not some made-up fable with a good moral lesson. It's the testimony of people in history who testified to the reality that Jesus died and rose again. Secondly, the result of the resurrection is eternal life. Because Jesus rose from the dead, all those who belong to him in faith will also rise from the dead. We are not still lost in our sin when we repent and believe in Jesus. We have this hope in this life and in the life to come. And we can know that we will experience the blessing of resurrection because Jesus is the first fruits of resurrection. We do not have to fear. We know that when we die or when Christ returns, we will experience the hope of eternal life. And thirdly, the hope of heaven is the hope of the new creation. In the new heavens and the new earth, there will be no more pain, sorrow, or death. Sin will be no more. All injustice and wickedness will be punished. And it's not some sterile existence of sitting on a cloud playing a harp. We will dwell with the God of the universe face to face. We will celebrate for eternity at the wedding feast of the Lamb. We will enjoy life as it was meant to be lived. God will make all things new. And these words are trustworthy and true. As we celebrate this Easter season, that we would celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, all those who repent of their sins and place their trust in him will be forgiven of their sins, reconciled to God, and have the hope of eternal life. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this Easter Sunday where we can tell again the story of the resurrection of Jesus. That Jesus died and rose again according to the scriptures so that all who repent of their sins and place their trust in him will be forgiven of their sins reconciled to you and have the hope of eternal life. And God, that we would stand firmly on the hope of the resurrection, a certain hope of a new heavens and a new earth, a day when all things will be made new, when sin, sickness, and death will be no more, and that we would stand on these words that are trustworthy and true. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for watching this video from Hillside Evangelical Free Church. Our hope is that these resources will help you grow as a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. We're located in Greenbank, Washington on Whidbey Island. And if you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to have you join us. You can find out more information at our website at hillside-efc.com.